going to pinch this from the band. Well, good evening, everyone. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing in case you were were worried. Um, I have fond memories, as Ruth and Anne have already said, about being in this place. Some of you might even remember that I think it was the second time I came here, my voice had completely gone. And I used to be a bit cynical about laryngitis, particularly as an actress, I used to think there must be a way where actually, if you really dig deep, you can do it. And uh, on the day where I had absolutely no voice, I think God was playing with me a little bit, because I remember driving here and doing my vocal exercise and my warm-up, and I had nothing absolutely nothing and this lovely team anointed me with oil and I was still very doubtful as to whether I would be able to speak at all some might say that in itself is a miracle but um, I really really was terrified and I remember being here not able to sing not able to worship and I don't know if you can see it you probably can't because of this banner but on this church it says to him who overcomes I will make him a pillar in the temple of our God and I read that just before I came up to speak to him I put her in there I think we're allowed to do that aren't we to her to she who overcomes I will make a pillar in the temple of God almost saying I've got you Judy and I got up to speak I was able to speak for however long I guess 40 minutes or whatever it was and then I finished with a monologue which is about Mary Magdalene who says at the end and I will spend the rest of my days telling everyone the story of my resurrected Lord and at that point my voice went again so literally God gave me 40 minutes and then shut me up again (laughs) some of you are praying for that tonight who knows who knows what will happen Um, but I I say that to share it because actually I was talking to Ruth about it earlier and it's very precious in my memory Because I work as a pastor, I see people healed and I see people that aren't healed. I see marriages that are restored and those that aren't. And and all of these different things that we hold in tension, even when we sing these brilliant songs that have been chosen for us tonight. Because we can face our giants, we are facing our giants, we know perhaps even what they are this evening as we look at this uh, topic of facing our giants. And there's a kind of will he, won't he, isn't there, in kind of will we get there, will we defeat him? I noticed when we were asked how many are feeling powerful, some of us went yes and some went no, and it just depends where we are, don't we? And both are true in a way. You know, we are, it depends where we're looking actually. Because in the Bible, we have some examples of giants. We have the very familiar one that most of us could name, Goliath. And uh, we know all about, perhaps even if we're not a regular churchgoer, we might well know the story of David and Goliath, the tiny, tiny warrior facing the massive giant, but actually coming against him, saying, I come in the power of the living God. If you like, we are powerful, not because of our stature, but because of the God that we come in the name of, because of the power that we hold. And we have a faith as Christians that I would dare to say is fundamentally about weakness. 
If we're in this because we think we're very good people and we've got it all sus, we've missed the whole point of what the Christian faith, in my estimation anyway, is about, which is saying, Lord, I need you every single day. I need you to breathe. I need you to live. I need you to face the day. I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness. I need your word. And it comes out of fragility, I have written a book about fragility, as was said, because I think I've made a ministry out of fragility. I think I'm known probably as much for my weaknesses as my strengths. Who knows? But actually, I know how much I need God every single day, how much I need his grace, his forgiveness, his mercy. So as we look at facing our giants, what are the giants that we might be facing? In the Old Testament, I've mentioned Goliath, but we also have another story tucked away at the beginning of the New Testament in the book of Numbers, where 12 leaders, 12 spies, if you like to look at a kind of bond way, go into the land of Canaan and spy out the land at the instruction of Moses. And they go into the land of Canaan and 10 come back. They're asked to research the land. Are the people there strong? Are they weak? Is it good land? Is it bad land? What's it like? 10 out of 12, if we're doing a survey, come back and they say, do you know what? It is flowing with milk and honey, but here's the bad news. There are giants there and we are not strong enough. And they go far as to say, I think it's quite funny, that we felt like grasshoppers in comparison. Have you ever felt like a grasshopper in the face of your giant? Yes. When we get the news, the medical news, when the relationship fails, when we are faced with our mortality or the mortality of a loved one, we feel like grasshoppers, don't we? in the face of our giants. And that's the report that 10 of the spies bring back to Moses. They say, really, in a way, it can't be done. But two, Joshua and Caleb say, surely, Caleb says, I love Caleb because he's wholehearted. And he goes into the land, and before he says it, he says, surely we can take the land because of who God is, not because of who we are. And they see the same land, the same giants, if you like, but they come back and they say, actually, we can take the land because our God is stronger still. And I think as we look at our giants, and perhaps we could have the the next slide uh, up there, as we look at what our giants might be, and I've put a few up there and you will have your own uh, giants this evening that we're facing. Failure is a giant that we face all of the time. And yet, the Bible is full of it, full of failures, full of people who got it wrong, got messed up, got forgiven, and got stuck back in again. It may be that we've faced moral failure. It may be that we've faced a failure that's very public. I know that's been true in my life one time. And we feel the eyes are on us. We feel that people are looking at our lives. And that can be a giant. Death can be a giant. We can know all the theory, we can sing all the songs, we can say death is defeated until the diagnosis comes. 
And then we're face to face, well, will this giant defeat me? Or will I defeat the giant? And we'll come back to that one. Health concerns, disappointment. Maybe we once believed all things are possible and we would have that as a fridge magnet. We would believe it, we would sing it, we would say it. But actually disappointment has snatched that away from us a little bit. And maybe tonight there are people here that God just wants to say, you can do immeasurably more with my help than you could dream of or imagine. Don't give up believing for the best, that raise a hallelujah and the triumph actually in the face of adversity, in the face of our enemies. Forgiveness is a massive giant for many of us a huge giant that we might almost think we've got there and then that thing rises up in us and we know that we haven't. Debt is something, one of those hidden ones. We're dealing with that a lot in our church at the moment. I know many churches that you represent will be as well, trying to set people free from the horrible grip of that and relationships and their breakdown. And we'll have our own giants there tonight. And I'm just going to briefly take us through uh, the stones that we've been given, if you like, to face, to actually combat the giants that we faced. The first one is the power of the past. The stones that we hold and the power of the past. I guess when we're looking at our giant, whatever that might be, we ask ourselves, well, God... Have you ever let me down before? How many times have we asked ourselves that? God's got us here, looking beautiful tonight, by the way, ladies. So here you are. He's got you to this point. Whether you're here hanging on by a thread or whether you're here fully confident in the living God or whether you're here and you don't even know if God is real, he has got you here. And I believe he's got you here for a purpose this evening. So let's stay with it. The power of the past and the faithfulness of God. And within that, the power of scripture. Can I just reiterate how important that has been in my life, in all the ups and downs, the failures, the triumphs, all of that, the power of scripture, actually the power of the word of God every single day, helping us, changing us. Where else will we go, we read in the New Testament? Where else can we go? When we're facing a giant that is so big, there's something in us that says, where else can I go? You have the words of eternal life. I'm going to do a couple of monologues for us tonight. And this first one is about that, really. It's about the power of scripture, and it's about the giant of relationship breaking down and someone who has always believed that self-help books would be enough. Um, I used to work in a bookshop when I was acting. There are lots of jobs you do when you're acting, if you're a jobbing actress, waitressing, acting being just one of the jobs you do, as some of you will know. And I used to work in a bookshop in Kingston called Hammocks Bookshop and had lots of different departments, but the most popular department of all was self-help. Interestingly, why? Because we're all facing giants. We're all facing giants and we're all looking at ways to actually meet those giants head on. So this is uh, called self-help. Where would any girl be without self-help books? I'm learning so much I never knew before. I have to start each day with my morning mantra. 
I have to stand in front of the mirror, I have to look at myself, and I have to say, I love you. <laughs> you are amazing. It's going really well. <laughs> it did backfire last month because I was running a bit late. So I had to pop into the ladies' toilets at Warwick Services, you know, for a mini mantra. <laughs> Funny, really, I'd only said, I love you, you're amazing once. Woman next to me legged it out of there, left the tap running. <laughs> I got this one from the library last month. Becoming a woman of excellence. I now know how to power dress, and I have eradicated all fashion crimes from my wardrobe. <laughs> it's funny, really. I found out that I didn't get that job at the Halifax because I wore black with navy. <laughs> it was nothing to do with the fact that I can't add up, which I thought was really enlightening, actually. Now, the one about men being from Mars didn't come as a great shock to me, to be honest. But it did help clear up a few points. Apparently, my Kelvin needs to go to his cave if he's had a bad day at work. His cave's the rose and crown, of course. He's been going there a lot lately. He says my self-help books are driving him to drink. Every night at about 8.30, I stand on my head on a piece of Tibetan goat skin. It does give me a migraine, but making sense of an upside-down world says it will all be worth it in the end. You see, ladies, it's me-ology. You have the power to heal your own life. In the past, people have called on God and on prayer, but we now know we don't need any of that outside help. Me-ology, well, I'm so sorry, that's my phone. How rude. Sorry. Sorry, I won't be a moment. Sorry. I'd... All right. Oh, hello, Calv. Yes, sorry. You're all right. Yes, you're not coming back for your tea then, love. No. Oh, you're not, are you, love? All right, then. No, 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 that's all right. No. Thanks for letting me know, then. All right, chick, take care of you, then. It's all a bit. Love you. my Calvin. He's met some other woman in the cave, apparently. I didn't even know women were allowed in. If you know of anything that can give me a bit of a hand with this, could you, could you let me know? I mean, these self-help books, don't get me wrong, they're great, but this is big. I'm scared now, really scared. Where do I go to? Where do I honestly go to without my Kelvin? He's my world. If you do know, give us a hand, won't you? Give us a read of something. Just something that I can hang on to. Thank you. So some of us have been there, some of us haven't, some of us know someone who has, most of us know somebody who has, but when our world falls apart, where else do we go? And certainly for me, the Bible, don't always understand it, don't always agree with it sometimes, as a pastor I wrestle with it sometimes and say well, it would have been much easier if you'd said this and not this, but I believe it's true.
And I believe that there is power as we face our giants that comes with Scripture. So when we look at the stone and the power of the past, I would put right in with that the power of the living God, the word that we have. I know a woman who's a single mother with three kids, and uh, people say to her, how do you do it? How do you stay so radiant and strong? And she says, I get up at 5.30, I sit in what is effectively an airing cupboard, and I read my Bible. You know, that's how she gets through the day. I had an Uber um, run the other day on a Friday night, uh, got in, it was Ramadan uh, uh, in Birmingham and uh, drivers were in short supply because of that. A lot of our drivers in Birmingham have a, have a Muslim faith and my driver said to me, he said, oh, we're busy tonight, uh, it's one of the meals that they have uh, and I said, oh yeah, it's called the Iftar meal actually, friends of mine are there at the moment. He said, are you a Muslim? And I said, oh no, no, I'm a Christian actually and he went, oh, I used to be one of those. I used to be one of those, he said I was brought up Catholic. And he said, but how do you keep going though? How do you keep going? You know, because life gets hard, doesn't it? And all of this is going on as we go in the Uber. And I said, well, I'll tell you something I've discovered, Bible in one year. I said, I absolutely love it. I've got the app on my phone. And I said, the good thing is if I've got time, I read it, but he reads to me. Anyone else got that app? You can have David Suchet Poirot reading to you for the Bible every morning. And um, he said, oh, I'd like that. So we stopped the car, we got App Store, and on it he got the Bible in one year. And I said, now, if you do an airport run, pop that on and the Bible will be read to you. And he went, absolutely brilliant, this is what I need. And I really believe that because we live in a world where everyone is facing giants more and more and more. And I don't know what was going on with him, but he was absolutely delighted that actually there is a God who has given us wisdom, who's given us guidance, who's given us truth. So let's look at these stones. So we have the power of the past. We have the power of prayer, the stones that we hold. If we can put there, that's it. The power of prayer, the second stone, the power of prayer. Some of you will know that in Birmingham this Easter, for the first time in many a year, we did a passion play. Uh, we did it with Salt Mine Theatre Company, which is the company I used to be director of for many years. And we did it with a community cast from all across Birmingham. And we did it in the town, starting at New Street, where the bull is, walking all the way up New Street with uh, a guy playing Jesus and crowds joined in singing and joining in all the way to the resurrection which had to happen twice because there were so many people so the 500 that were in the cathedral the first time had to go out we had to say spoiler alert don't tell anyone what happens um <laughs> some of them might guess i don't know and and then the next lot came in now we did that tuesday wednesday and thursday and as i said had to repeat now on paper it was a logistical nightmare. And in a world of threat, in a world of heckling and poverty and darkness, who would have thought that God and a few jobbing actors could pull this off? But Rachel Oral, who is the CEO of um, Salt Mine, early on the Tuesday morning was prayer walking up New Street and God showed her, this lady has been a Christian for 50 years, she's never experienced anything like this, 
God showed her the darkness of our city. She said it was almost terrifying. She saw the despair in people's eyes. She saw the death, the darkness, the oppression. Now, I don't know what that looked like. This is her account, not mine. But she said, how, Lord, will we go through with these 16 actors? We were playing the disciples. We had a curry. We had a delivery last supper on the floozy with the jacuzzi. We had it all planned. And it just couldn't. How can we pull it off? And she said, Lord, there's so much darkness. What will we do? And she prayed and prayed, the power of prayer, the stone of prayer. And she just said, Lord, make a way. With you, all things are possible. And left it. And then as we started to perform and we go through and we have to shout, your liberator is here. Jesus is here. Freedom. I can't tell you the joy. I've acted in so many things over the years. I don't think I've ever felt that emotion of being able to be in my city, walking up New Street, shouting. <laughs> that quite liberating. I actually might do it again. Shouting, your liberator is here. Looking at the faces of the people and saying there is a liberator. There is someone who can free you and it's Jesus. And Rachel said she joined on the first day and she looked up and she said in 50 years she has never seen this. She saw God parting the darkness and a shaft of light coming down over us as Jesus walked through. Now this is a pragmatic, very, very sharp, very bright, very organized woman. That's how I think we were able to pull off what we did with God's help. But I believe that because as an actress, I knew it. We were caught up in something that was so soaked in prayer that actually we didn't get heckled, we didn't get sworn at. On, on the, each day we were there, you know, saying the, the resurrection, you know, speaking out words of Jesus and people were just stopping with their sandwiches and just listening. The only two little obstacles we had and they're both funny. One was a drunk man who thought he'd join in the Last Supper and came and tucked into the naan bread with me and a few others, which I thought was just genius. I thought Jesus would love that. So he was there. And the only other bit was when we were processing on the very last day and we were going, your liberator is here, freedom, a gentleman who was selling plastic cups was going, cups for sale, cups for sale. So we'd say, your liberator is here, cups for sale. So some people are still wondering about the relevance of that piece um, in the story, the Easter story. But they were the only two things, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, two performances, you know, each day. And I just think that's the power of prayer. That when we look at our world and we say, oh, it's just not possible. With God, it is possible. So much more possible than we realize. There is power in the name of Jesus. There's a story in my book um, that I've written about when I was um, held up with a gun uh, as a young teacher in Derby and terrified, uh, absolutely didn't know what to do. Uh, it was a guy that I'd had a bit of an altercation with in an English lesson the week before and he held a gun up straight at me um, and I've lived a fairly sheltered life growing up in Surbiton I'd never even seen a gun before I, I really genuinely didn't know what to do and I prayed in tongues over and over again and I kept saying the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus help me in the name of Jesus help me over and over again and I cannot tell you to this day whether I was saying that out loud maybe that's what freaked them out or whether I was saying that internally because I was in shock and I was terrified but I can only tell you that it was like a dart 
went into that young man who could have physically overpowered me and the rest of us. And he put it down under his seat, sat down, and we read manic poetry for about a quarter of an hour before I actually got help. And I absolutely know that that was the power of the name of Jesus. I know because I knew it here. You know when you just know something here. And I know that I could never have done. And it was so great because I was a new teacher and I got a really badass reputation. They were like, she just told him to put the gun down and he did. Um, so it was quite good as a new teacher of five foot two in my heels to, to have that reputation. But again, the power of prayer and the power of the name of Jesus. The third stone that we have, if we can is perspective and priority. When the spies, if you think back to the spies going into the land, there's a different report. There's the 10 who say it's not possible, and there's the two who come back and say, Joshua and Caleb, say, we can take the land. We can take the land. Why? Because we look at who God is rather than who we are. And I think when we're faced with our giants, there's a tendency in all of us to look at us, to look at our resource, our frailty, our fear, and to cave in when God says, no, look up, child, look up to me. I've got you. I've got you. I am so much more powerful than you imagine. And when we look, as Peter did when he got out of the, the boat onto the water, when we look at ourselves, we sink. But when we look at who Jesus is, look at who God is, look at what he is able to do, then our whole perspective shifts and we see things differently. We run a stay and play, as many churches do. We had a lady come to us who was a Class A drug user just over a year ago. She was drug dependent. She had lost all three of her children. They'd had to go into custody because of her drug habit. She had a debt that made her need to go to our debt advice team, which is one of our missional teams at, at our church. She was at rock bottom. And gently those who've loved her and pastored her and got alongside of her have kept saying, God is able. God can do what we can't. He is able. Lift your eyes up to what he's able to do. And on Easter Sunday this year, we baptized her. And two of her children were there. One has just come back for a trial time. She is drug-free, debt-free, and she cannot stop telling people about Jesus. She is alive in it and alive in what he can do. And her faith levels are so brilliant that she'll come into my office and say, I'm going to pray that for you, Judy. And I'm like, oh, it's all right, it's fine. It's just, no, no, I'm going to pray because she really sees way more sometimes than I do just how giants fall at the hands of the living God. She's living testimony. And somebody prophesied her at, at church over her from Psalm 30, he redeems my life from the pit, you know? He redeems my life from the pit. He sets my feet on the rock. But what we didn't realize is the next verse is, and many will believe and trust in him. And what's happened is she has been a catalyst almost for revival. That's probably a bit too strong a word, but you know what I mean, in our church. I've had people knocking on Riverside House saying, hello, I'm a neighbor of Kerry Ann's. I've seen the difference that God's made in her life. This is exact words. And I'd like to come, where do I come on Sunday? Just a young lad who's her neighbor 
who seen what God can do. So don't let us forget. Don't let us forget, because we've been around Christianity perhaps for a long time, maybe not. Let our souls remember, as we've sung in that brilliant song, to actually remind ourselves to raise a hallelujah in the presence of our enemies, that actually there is so much victory that is possible in God. And what I learned not long ago in my reading of Scripture is that we fight from victory, not for victory. Yeah, because I'm a drama student, so I grew up, as many of us did, with the, do you remember the drama exercises where you had the bad voice on one side and the good voice on this, and you know, you did the GSE, yeah, some of you are nodding, you had those GCSE lessons, and you had the evil voice of, you know, the devil here, and the voice of good, and it was a level playing field, wasn't it? And you were torn, and some of us have, have absorbed that theology, haven't we? And we think, oh, well, the enemy's here and God's there. But no, the Bible says God's here, we're here, and the enemy's under our feet. He says it's that way round. And we're still, some of us, including me, thinking this way round sometimes. And God would remind us that actually when we have perspective, when we have his priority, that we fight from victory, from a victory, he's, he's stared death down for you and I. He's stared sin down for us. I think we can trust him. Do you? So that's our perspective as we come. Fourthly, uh, the stone um, of passion. The stone of passion. When David went against Goliath, we hear he ran at him. That actually there was something that actually said, I can do this. Why? Because God is able. And I have been to career in the, the last well, last year, uh, working with North Korean ladies um, who have defected from North Korea and uh, working with them on the border with South Korea. And I haven't found passion like it in all my years as a Christian. I've been a Christian since I was 19. But seeing women who have not even known what it is to have the love of God in their lives, they've not even heard that, so Chairman Kim has brought them up with any scripture, and he knows scripture because his granddad uh, knew it. He has turned scripture to be about him. So all the scripture that they have heard of have been relating to him. So you imagine one of these women on a hillside, washing clothes, having never ever really known about God, known about Jesus, hearing the voice of God on a hillside while she's washing and hearing, you are my beloved child, I love you. She turned around thinking her husband or somebody had come. There was nobody there physically at all. And when she defected two years later and found out that there was a God who loved her, who had written these things in his book, she cried and cried and cried. And she said, I have met this God before. Now, if the North Korean president and his horrific, oppressive regime cannot come against the giants, I think we can be fairly confident, don't you? that actually these people are finding God. There are people, as some of you will know, that are getting scripture down through balloons, through open doors. And uh, they, they, they drop these scriptures into people's areas, into farms, and people are reading them. I did a radio broadcast to North Korea from South Korea that would be listened to about God's love. In other words, the darkness will never put out the light of Christ because of the victory that we have. Passion, keeping our passion alive. 
And there will be people in your life that fuel that passion. Get around those people. Uh, it's been good for me to go to Korea. I was terrified, but I spend a lot of my life with these things out of my comfort zone. I don't even quite know what a comfort zone is, I don't think. Um, but actually, just knowing that, that people who are passionate ignite that same passion in us. And uh, just thank, so thankful for the worship team tonight, just doing that for us, in reminding us with those well-chosen songs of just what it is to actually claim victory passion and then finally uh, the the final stone is persistence and this is a tough one I think we know it's biblical we know that Jesus was passionate about that we know that he told parables about us persisting uh, like you know that the night visitor knocking on the door and saying you know I need you to come down and saying you know if they won't go away Ask and it will be given to you. And Jesus says that in the, in the Gospel of Luke. He says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. And I felt as I was praying for us ahead of tonight that we needed to remember that there are things that you and I have perhaps stopped praying for. There are prodigals that we prayed for for years and maybe we've said, I'm done. And that's okay, I think, if I can dare to say that, for a little season. You know, we get a bit weary in it, don't we? And maybe we say, I know I've sometimes said, you know what, can you guys pray for this for me? Because I'm just going to, you know, when you have Moses with somebody holding up his arms. And sometimes we need to do that. But I just felt tonight that there were a few of us here, and I'd include myself in this, that need to just press in and persist and not give up in praying for the giants to fall, whatever those giants might be. Because as we see the faithfulness of God, as we see what he's able to do, as we trust him, I believe that he's calling our nation to more prayer than ever before, to more persistence than ever before. Some of you will know, I won't name the school, but they've been in the press uh, for the last few weeks in a, in a really very sad way. And I have not known what to do. I've known faith leaders nearby are going in, and I always feel, oh gosh, you know, what can I do? And you feel again a bit dwarfed and a bit like David with his sling and his stones. But I found myself called to pray for those warring opposition factions that are going on there in that school. And I found myself praying and and the Lord spoke to me and said tell them there's a third way that Jesus is the third way now without wanting to go into too much there's there's a a Muslim protesting uh, group and there's an LGBT protesting and there's all of that going on and we can feel absolutely God it's impossible and suddenly he says this to me so we've got four teachers in the school so we get together we start to pray one of those teachers goes into the head who really um, has had a bad time with faith and you know has moved away from it and um, just goes and I admire audacity I wasn't sure this is what I thought she was going to do but she goes straight up to the head and says our pastor's praying and she thinks there's a third way if you'd be open to her coming in and uh, talking about that and doing some mediation. Um, and anyway, if you had asked me, I would have said that it would be 95% certain that this particular person would have said no, but she has said yes to me going in this week. Um, and 
Interestingly, what made her say yes, apart from obviously the, the power of the Holy Spirit, was that not only had we said, I believe there's a third way, but her parents, who are Christians, had messaged her the night before saying, our church is praying and we believe there is a third way. Now, you know, that is God at work. Now, I have no idea. Please hear me. I don't know how it's going to end. I'm very nervous about it. You can pray for me. Um, but actually, I do believe in these stones. I believe in these persisting prayers. Because we have a nation, both of the parties involved want the best for their children, don't they? And things just get messed up. And the enemy comes in and he distorts it and thwarts it and tangles it up. And yet our role is, like Caleb and Joshua, to look at the land and to say, with God, this is possible. We can take this land. So let's pray for that in our schools, in our nation at the moment, which seems so confused. And, uh, and let's really believe for that. I think I'm almost out of time. Um, I'm just going to um, finish with a final monologue, which I hope brings all of this together. Um, this is Sabina Vermbrandt, um, some of you will know her, some of you may have even met her. Uh, apologies for the accent if, uh, if you have. Um, and uh, it, she's one of my heroes uh, in, in faith, uh, as is Richard Vermbrandt and as is Corrie ten Boom. I write about them in the book because I've been privileged to play some of them over the years. But Sabina Vermbrandt um, was an interesting one. She was taken into prison after her husband and uh, really was facing the giant of not knowing whether her husband was alive or dead and actually being told he was dead when he was alive, of facing the fact that her son had moved right away from faith because what had gone on and facing her own imprisonment. And so this is her story, uh, Sabina Vermbrandt. Many, many days after they came for Richard, the officers came for me. They took me away, straight away from Mihai, my son. I couldn't look at his little frame, his small eyes, as they loaded our bodies into the cart. Women tended to be treated more harshly than ever at the hands of the guards. We were made to eat grass, hard labor, digging a pointless canal. Do you know one of the joys of the guards was to throw us into the canal and fish us out and laugh at our wet bodies as we stood before them? It was a crime, you know. It was a crime to help anyone who was of a family of a Christian martyr. And so our son, Mihai, was very bitter towards Christ. Christ had taken his father and now his mother too. And one lady, a good friend, who helped our son, Mihai, was beaten so badly that she may be a cripple for the rest of her days. I prayed so hard in prison for Mihai. And then, one day, he was allowed to come and visit me. Oh, through the bars, yes, at a distance, yes, but nevertheless, he could come. He was brought through with three guards around him. I saw him, he was so shaken at looking at my frame. 
how his mother was fading before him. He looked so emotional, but I shouted, Mihai, believe in Christ. Believe in him with all of your heart. He is your freedom. Well, you can imagine it, can't you? The guards were furious. They dragged Mihai away. But you need to hear this. That was the moment of my son's conversion to Christianity. That was the moment where God met him and said, if my mother can believe in a place like that, then he truly is the Christ. There is a miracle there that is not of this world. Mihai rescued. And days later, myself rescued, home and reunited. But the guards came and the officials came and told me that Richard, my husband, had been shot. They told me that in his dying breath, he had denied Christ. So you see, I knew that they were lying. I knew that was a lie. I knew my husband would never deny his Savior Christ. So I would not believe, even though they showed me papers that he was dead. I held on because God had given me a promise that one day I would hold Richard in my arms and my son, Mihai, would come to him. And I still remember to this day, the day my husband walked up the path. Yes, he was older, yes, so thin, but lit up with the promises that have come through in his life through Christ. I want you to know he is faithful. I want you to know in the West that he is worth it all in the end. He is the Christ. He is real. And he is the answer in this world and in the next. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you. So just before I hand back to Ruth, who's going to tell us the practicalities of how we respond. Um, I finished with that one. It's a bit hard-hitting, and I apologise in a way for that, but I don't. Um, because I think it's perspective, isn't it? That actually we're in a free country where we can do a passion play and say your liberator's here, that we can leave and have an Uber driver and tell him about the Bible. And while we still can... Let's face our giants together and let's say, you are able, God. And the final thing is that actually Jesus was, if you like, the David in our story. David looked at Goliath and slew him with a tiny stone. Jesus stared at our own sin, stared at death for us and beat it. And if you're here tonight and you don't know that, we'd love to pray with you. I would love to pray with you. I know any of the team would. That he did that because he loves you so much and because his forgiveness is available for every one of us. He's conquered, if you like, the final battle of all, the final giant of all, the giant of our sin, the giant of the death that we fear. I believe he's conquered and we can face him with great hope now and eternally. So thank you for listening and uh, do come and chat at the end.